Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. 17 years ago, Connie Duckworth went on a business trip. She was 46 at the time, and her life was already somewhat unusual. She was one of the first women to become a partner at Goldman Sachs, and she had four young children. Duckworth lived in Chicago, but the business trip happened to be in New York. She was there on a beautiful Tuesday in late summer, September 11th, 2001. As it was for so many Americans, the experience of that day was traumatic for Duckworth and for her family, which was back in Chicago. And it changed the direction of her life. She retired from Goldman Sachs that year. She was still in her mid-40s. But in retirement, her life took another unexpected turn when she got invited on an unusual trip. It was 2003, and she flew to a place where things were tough, but hope was high. Afghanistan. It's somewhat like landing on the moon because the landscape is so dramatic and so stark and barren. For Duckworth, the contrast with the world she knew was hard to take. There was very little uh, infrastructure, no electric grid, and it was uh, just a pretty astonishing uh, experience. We were there in January, and uh, that is a mountainous area. It's cold. I'd say the temperatures were probably mid-20s, and there was no heat in any of the buildings we visited. But what she saw in one of those buildings would pull her back into the business world. The trigger really for me was our last stop on the way back to the airport to fly out. We pulled into a bombed-out, ugly, Soviet-style building, and there were literally dozens of widows and children trying to shelter in this building for the winter. And I'm a mother of four children. They were quite young at that time. And to look at the faces of these beautiful children and see them wearing flip-flops when I had on my Thinsulate boots and my down raincoat uh, really struck me. And it compelled me to take some action to try to create jobs for women in Afghanistan. Duckworth was a driven person, but that goal of creating jobs for women so they could have more power to help their families, that was trickier than she'd imagined. And as she'll readily admit, she was kind of unrealistic about it. So my initial foray was to try to convince uh, some clothing manufacturers to start a small cut-and-sew factory in Kabul, Afghanistan. And uh, when talking to a couple of CEOs, I was asked questions like, well, gee, uh, do they have electricity? No. Uh, Isn't there like a war going on there? Well, yes, there's still some instability, et cetera. And so then I came to learn uh, that even if we did set such a factory up, it was maybe not possible for the women to come and work there. So Connie Duckworth went back to the books. She tried to understand the economy of Afghanistan. And what she found was old data from the 1970s that pointed towards an interesting business opportunity. Rugs are the largest legal export commodity in Afghanistan. Hmm. And conveniently, they're produced largely by women and Hmm. often in their homes. So it's a home-based cottage industry uh, kind of endeavor. But you've also written that a lot of labor, certainly across the world, on rugs is child labor. Um, A lot of it is slave labor. So beyond the fact that this is a hard business to get into, if you're going to pay somebody good wages, how are those rugs going to compete with rugs that, you know, the people who are working on them aren't being paid sometimes anything to work on those rugs? 
Yes, it was really an eye-opener for me to learn that after trafficking, the rug industry globally is one of the most exploitive industries for women and children in the world. And so what we looked at was to say, gee, the woman sits at the end of a supply chain, and everybody in the middle, all the middlemen who touch the raw materials, who handle the finished rugs, who deliver the rugs, all of those people, typically men, uh, take their piece of the action, leaving literally pennies on the dollar for the women who are actually doing labor. And so the first step we took was to figure out how to disintermediate those middlemen, hence leaving some of the economics to be pushed down to the actual women. So you decide to start this rug business, and you have this kind of social contract with with really the men who run the houses that the women who are working in the rug business um, – you you strike up the social contract with the men and and the man who runs that house promises two things. One is that the kids who live in that house have to be allowed to go to school and that's boys and girls and girls generally didn't go to school. Um, and second, that women were allowed to go outside to uh, learn to read in classes and that also when they were pregnant, they could go get health care. Did you get initially, did you get a lot of... Um, kind of doors slammed in your face when you said this is the prerequisite for, you know, bringing a woman on as a weaver? Well, we did have to go to many doors to get those initial weavers. But what's so astonishing to me is that the impact that this social contract and what it really is, is a way to tangibly tie uh, good income to certain kinds of behaviors that will bode well for the families and the women over time. So it's really a way to shift the cultural norm. And we have been able to document that shift. And in a 10-year period, uh, we found it to be quite astonishing. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Connie Duckworth, the founder and CEO of Arzu Rugs, which is a nonprofit based in Afghanistan. Um, So I mentioned this criteria you had about kids having to go to school and women being able to go out both to uh, take classes to read, but also if they're pregnant to be able to get medical care. To U.S. ears, that sounds like whatever, big deal. You know, everybody would say yes to that. Um, Can you just talk about like how odd it was at that time to be asking for those sorts of things in Afghanistan. So the reality was um, at that time and still to this day, some 90 plus percent of rural Afghan women are illiterate. Um, Most girls, even though schools opened for girls, many in particular rural villages, uh, it was not viewed as appropriate for girls to go to school. Hmm. Um, In terms of childbirth, Afghanistan had one of the highest maternal death rates in the world. And yet um, when a woman marries and is effectively sold into marriage at puberty for a bride price, she goes to live with her mother-in-law for life. Well, if the average Afghan woman has eight or nine children and that mother-in-law has had every one of her deliveries on her dirt floor in her small home... Uh, why would she consider releasing her daughter-in-law to go and deliver at some fancy clinic? And mm. I assure you, these are not fancy, fancy clinics. clinics. Yeah. So, you know, here you are starting a rug business. Why did you think it was important 
to loop into that rug business. I mean, I can understand saying like we're going to pay a bonus if you do a really quality rug or if you do it in a certain amount of time or whatever it was. But to, to loop into that literacy and uh, issues of m- maternal mortality, why was that important in starting a rug business? I have a point of view, and it's been proven out time and again in Afghanistan, that true poverty alleviation is not uh, a function of addressing any one single problem. Rather, you must step back and look at this in a design thinking way as a human-centric activity. And in that, you really have to address an ecosystem of the major factors that all really play together to allow families or women or men to lift themselves from poverty. You can't do it with any one single attack. What ended up happening is that Connie Duckworth's rug company, Arzu, paid weavers almost 70 percent more than the average Afghan earned. Arzu also built preschools and homes and playgrounds. They offered classes. And little by little, change started to bubble up. A few years ago, students at Oxford University polled men who were the heads of households in which a woman worked for Arzu. The man of the household, the husband, the father, would say, I used to think that my wife could only do housework and have children. Now I think differently. I used to think my daughter, the best I could do was get her a marriage. Now I think differently. That's a remarkable shift in cultural mores in a 10-year period. I mean, a 10-year period is a nanosecond in terms of poverty alleviation. And the most wonderful aspect of this, in describing their wives, they would very openly say, my wife is more educated than me. She makes more money than me. She thinks like a man. That's a positive. That's a compliment. (laughs) And uh, for the daughters, again, these girls were illiterate and would have been sold for the bride price at puberty. I want my daughter to go on to higher education to become a teacher or a doctor. Now, we know that from a practical standpoint, not all girls are going to go to college and become a teacher or doctor. That doesn't happen in the United States. But the fact that these fathers would have that aspiration for their daughters is extraordinary. And the potential that a teacher or a doctor or a few will come out of these homes is definitely there. 20% of our families are now putting at least one child through university. Remember our starting point. All the families and all the kids were illiterate, and yet they now have a college-educated person. That change in the family will again bend the curve so that that person who may work in the city and may work in a professional-type job will further lift the family's economic situation. Connie Duckworth is founder and chief executive officer of Arzu Rugs, a nonprofit based in Afghanistan. Connie, thank you so much. Thank you. By the way, Duckworth still lives in Chicago. She runs the company by working with dozens of Afghan employees who are on the ground. And she says that sales now pay for about half of their expenses. The rest she makes up for with fundraising. <laughs> 